0: Hey there, it's Trent. Thank you once again for accessing the Chapter 2 Supplemental Lecture. Today we're going to be going more in-depth in terms of language and audience here for organizational communication. More than anything, we're going to talk about the process of a conversation. We'll talk about this more as we get to organizational onboarding, but we do touch on it just a little bit this chapter. We'll talk and build on what we discussed in terms of uh, types of languages and also how we use language in an organizational context. Now, a quick reminder, this week we're going through the chapter two lectures, both in class and in this lecture supplement. One of the things that we'll talk about also in this series is the best practice or best practices, our best practices, I guess, for verbal interaction. One way to achieve best practice is to make sure your uh, tense and plurality is correct. But also, we're going to talk about, as I mentioned, parts of a conversation. Quick reminder, Thursday, January 25th, if you're listening to this before Thursday, the initial discussion board post is due. That is the first discussion board post wherein you talk very briefly about a particular job or maybe a position you've held within an organization and different ways in which you use different communication contexts there. And then Sunday, January 28th, the discussion board response, the response is worth 5 points, and topic check number 2 are both due. Now to this point, many of you have already taken your topic check number 1 so you have an idea as to the layout and kind of how that's structured. But those are the two assignments that are due this week. A quick reminder for next week as well. So next week, meaning the January 30th class period, that's when our first quiz will take place. The quiz study guide is on D2L, so you can access that either under the quizzes tab or under the content tab for this week. But just remember, quiz number one is in class. January 30th, it is worth 40 points. So just make sure you access the study guide. The study guide has everything you'll need to know for the quiz. Quick refresher on what we'll talk about this week in class. We talked about three types of messages, primary, secondary, and auxiliary. We also talked about the rules of language. So we have rules that basically dictate the order of words in a sentence, but also rules that dictate their meaning. And we talked about how various corporations, we use Starbucks as one example, have rules for how language is used within their organization to kind of craft the meaning that they desire when they're talking to external stakeholders or as we know them to be, customers. And then we also talked about alternate meanings of language. So things like slang, jargon, doublespeak, euphemism, anything that replaces untoward words perhaps. And we also talked about the fact that for each word, there's a denotative meaning, which is the dictionary definition, and a connotative meaning, which is the definition more or less that we get based on our feeling of things. So when we say someone has died, that's got a negative connotative meaning. And so we use euphemisms such as passing away to kind of soften the blow a little bit. All right, that leads us into this lecture supplement and i wanted to talk very briefly about parts of a message so these are parts of a message whether you're talking with a friend whether you're talking with a coworker, whether you're talking in an organizational context or not it's probably something you've also talked about if you've ever taken a speech class but three parts of a message we have the attention statement and introduction that captures the attention of your audience the idea there is to build rapport to find the topic of a message Even in a person-to-person conversation, this could be something as simple as, hey, what's up? Just getting their attention. Now, if you're crafting a speech or if you're heading up a meeting, you probably want to think through your attention statement and introduction, maybe a little bit better than that. Your body of your message, that... Is what your message is basically. That's the main point of your message. And we'll talk about it in terms of the stages of conversation as well. Kind of just ticking off the bullet points. Here's what we need to talk about. And again, if you're just talking with a friend, hey, what's going on today? Hey, do you mind if I ask you? I have this favor I need done. That's your main point. And then your conclusion is something that's going to bring closure to the body. And if you're trying a persuasive speech or something like that, you want to leave your audience with some sort of an action item. This is also the case if you're communicating via email as well. Best case scenario for supervisors is that they're giving out action items at the conclusion of an email. So they'll tell you, hey, here's what's going on. This is what it means to you, and this is what now I need you to do as a result of this message. So three parts of a message here, attention statement and introduction, body and conclusion and residual message. This is the case for all types of verbal communication, but it also goes beyond verbal communication to the likes of email, and even sometimes in terms of text messages. But I did want to talk about best practices for verbal communication. So just going to run through these really quickly. If specific terms are needed, define them as necessary. So what I mean by specific terms, these are kind of your inside baseball terms. You might be very familiar with a term if you work inside an organization. I'll give you an example. I don't know the last thing about cars. Couldn't tell you one thing about the car. When the mechanic starts to tell me what's wrong with the car and starts to use words that I don't quite understand, they have to try and define that as much as possible. So if you're using specific terms, industry specific terms, make sure you define these things as much as possible. I know when I worked in the finance industry, we had a lot of specific terms there regarding a uh, rate of return and all of that, we would have to define those every time we mentioned those to a potential customer. You should also use precise words as often as possible, but, it also depends on your organization, too. A lot of organizational style guides, I put this example up on the screen if you're watching this via video, but it's kind of the example I use is over 1 million instead of actually saying the number. So, verbally, it's kind of rough to just say 1,052,923. A lot of organizations both in written and in verbal communication, have you kind of round off, make it sound a little bit easier for the audience to digest. So saying over 1 million is not only easier for you, but it's easier for the audience to think about that particular number. But when I talk about precise words, what I really mean is making sure that you use words that are unambiguous. One of the things that we'll sometimes talk about during the course of class, and I know we'll talk about it this week in class, is the word tea. Now tea means different things to everyone. And if you were in class Tuesday, you probably heard me mention, tea means something different to people in the South versus people in the Northern United States means something different in the UK as it does elsewhere in the world. So make sure you're being specific. So something like iced sweet tea or just sweet tea would be an example there. And then you also want to use an appropriate tone, so you don't want to be pompous, stuffy, or stuck up, but you also don't want to be too flippant. You don't want to be cracking jokes, let's say, if you're eulogizing someone, if that's not the atmosphere of the eulogy. Other verbal communication best practices include checking for understanding. So as we go through saying like, y'all with me here or was there anything there that I need to explain further? Is everyone in good shape heading forward? You wanna do this in a non-condescending way. If you go forward and check for understanding and verbal communication and say, well now did that make sense to you? I know I went through it really fast. That's gonna be a condescending thing. You can get away with that with a four or five year old sometimes but you can't really if your audience is an adult audience. So checking for understanding just in a casual, non-condescending way is important, especially if you're someone like a supervisor giving a presentation in a meeting should also respond to real-time feedback. So if someone, let's say, has a horrified look on their face as you're talking, you might want to change what it is that you're talking about. Or if they're nodding, that means they're following along. If they're shaking their head, no, it means they disagree with what you're saying. So at that point in time, if I see you know shaking of heads, no, that tells me I've got to go back, maybe check for understanding, respond to that real-time feedback in a way that allows me to adjust my message so that the audience can take it in most easily and then the book also says to be results oriented you know I don't know that that's exactly the best case scenario for everyone there are times where we can have the best process in the world and maybe if you're talking to someone that has had a bad day or something like that you don't get the results from your message that you were looking for But I think the process is the main thing to focus on here. And what I mean by the process is your preparation when you go to speak, your thought process as you go to speak, even your internal monologue has to do with your process there. So your process really is the most important thing. Because, also, if your results don't show up there, you can change your process for the next time. But I don't believe in being results-oriented. Sometimes you can get a thought across and just have the worst process possible. That's not a good thing. Likewise, it's not a good thing if you achieve a bad result from a good process. But... That's a lot better than having a terrible process, seeing a good result, and then repeating that terrible process over and over again. So those are six verbal communication best practices. And that's one of the things, if you've checked out the study guide, you'll note might show up on the quiz coming up. Other notes about verbal communication, these type of things probably won't show up on a quiz, but I'd give you credit for it if you mention them. The book recommends signposts and internal summaries. Sometimes it's difficult to do that without coming across as condescending or repetitious. So signposts and internal summaries would be something like, well, now that I've talked about those six verbal best practices, now let's talk about this other thing. If you do that too much, it will seem repetitious and sometimes it'll seem somewhat condescending. Additionally, you can use repetition when, uh, appropriately sometimes, and when intentional, it comes off very well. You think about the I have a dream speech from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You think about Winston Churchill's speech, where he repeated, we will fight, we will fight, we will fight over and over again. It was intentional in those circumstances, but when you're unintentionally repetitious, maybe that's with filler words like um and uh, and you know, maybe that's starting the sentence with the same set of words over and over, that's going to be grading on your audience. So just bear in mind, repetition is good in small doses when it's intentional, when it's unintentional, we kinda wanna take that repetition out of the conversation. Speaking of conversation, Let's talk about those five stages of conversation I mentioned earlier. So we have initiation, preview, talking points, feedback, and closing. We're going to talk about these five stages of conversation later in the semester when we get to interviews. But I do want to touch on them now because it's important to look at conversation as a valid structure of verbal communication. The initiation stage... That has to require some sort of willingness to interact. You can't talk to a brick wall. You can't talk to someone whose back is turned to you. Preview, getting into what you're going to be talking about. Talking points, that's the actual thing you're talking about. Feedback, once again, can be verbal or nonverbal. And then the closing is the conclusion. Maybe we end with action items. Maybe we cycle back to the beginning. So I want to talk briefly about the initiation and preview a little bit more in depth. And I use the example of a job interview here. In a job interview, it's understood that there must be some sort of interaction. It would be really weird if you went into a job interview and either the interviewee said nothing or the interviewer said nothing. There is an expectation within a job interview that there must be interaction. The same thing goes with a lot of our social experiences. For example, a first date, there is an expectation there of some sort of interaction. Now, if the date doesn't go well, if the interview doesn't go well, maybe that expectation of interaction declines, but going into it, you expect to interact. So willingness to interact in other circumstances, that's usually signaled verbally or non-verbally, or maybe just via context. But again, non-verbally, you're looking for open structure, their back's not turned to you. Verbally, they might turn to you and say, hey, what's up, or hey, How's it going? Something that acknowledges your presence and says, hey, I'm a ready and willing participant in verbal communication here. There's something that's also called phatic communication. And this is something that I'm gonna want you to know for the quiz and for an exam later on in the semester. But this is basically small talk. It establishes a mood of sociability there. So an example of phatic communication, maybe the prototypical example, if you will, is just asking someone about the weather or saying, Hey, this weather we've had is really crazy. It's been freezing cold and now it's kind of warmer. Crazy, right? And you just kind of grease the skids. You get that communication going. In some circumstances, people aren't that good at small talk. They don't like to talk about themselves. They don't really have any ready go-to phrases or statements that they use. But in an organizational context, phatic communication is very important just to make sure that everyone is personable and everyone is on relatively good terms. If you've ever been around someone within an organization or not that's not very good at small talk, Your first impression of them typically is going to be that of someone who just doesn't want to talk or converse That's not a good impression, and that's not an impression we want to leave others with. So being good at small talk is very important within an organizational context. And a seg is a transition from one subject or stage of conversation to another. So we would seg, for example, from our small talk to preview and then on to talking points. Sometimes people call this a segue. Technically, a segue is really just that mobility device. It's not a seg, which is that jump in conversation from one thing. To another. So as we seg into talking about talking points, there, addressing talking points can be explicit or implicit. Implicit We're looking at, once again, euphemisms, double-speak, etc. But generally, in a meeting context, in a one-to-one conversation context, the talking points are going to be laid out there fairly clearly. The feedback stage of things allows for statement and restatement, if necessary. So a lot of people will ask a question of clarification at this point as well. But sometimes it could be something like, okay, so you said our sales are down and you want me to sell more. Is that correct? That would be a question of clarification there. And then the close of verbal communication might be verbal or nonverbal, or the close may loop back. The pre, Really the preview through the feedback steps could be repeating. So if you're having coffee with a friend, you're there for three hours and you're talking about multiple subjects, you're gonna repeat the preview through feedback a lot as you change subjects, as you jump around talking about different things, different facets of your life. However, we don't very often see the jump back to initiation. It would be weird if you've concluded talking about something about your life and you've been with this friend for two hours and then suddenly you jump into small talk and initiation again. Likewise, it's not very often we conclude a conversation and then jump back into it. But sometimes this does happen. You've had people, or you might know, to, know people that maybe have that separation anxiety there. They'll say goodbye and then, oh, and one more thing jumping right back to that preview step of the conversation. Generally speaking, we don't just go through all of these five stages and call it good. We're gonna loop through stages two through four quite a bit during the course of a normal conversation, or as I mentioned up on the screen, in the course of a job interview. All right, that's it for this supplemental lecture. Quick preview on quiz number one for you. I mentioned it earlier in the recording, but this quiz is worth 40 points. It's going to have a combination of questions. You got matching, you got multiple choice, true, false, and fill in the blank or short answer. Now, I'm not going to ask you to write an essay for me or anything like that, but I will give ample space for you to write those short answer questions So it's just so you can explain your thought process if you deem it necessary to do so. The matching part, you'll notice if you have the study guide pulled up or if you've checked out the study guide on D2L, there's a set of terms at the top that I want you to know. There's about uh, maybe 20 terms, a little bit more than usual for the first quiz of the semester, just because we're kind of getting our feet underneath us. The matching questions are specific for those terms. So I might give you a term, I'm gonna have a separate sheet where it's gonna have the definition and you're just trying to match the definition to the term. Most of these you can do by context clues alone. I've had people tell me, you know, didn't even study for a quiz and still get 60% on the matching just because of the context clues there. The quiz in class, usually gonna take about 15 to 20 minutes. I'm gonna try and give you about 20 minutes to finish it up. It's closed note, closed book, unlike the weekly topic checks are concerned. And it's curved to the second highest score without extra credit. So there is extra credit opportunities on every quiz and every exam that I do. I will curve it when it is all said and done to the second highest score without extra credit. So if the best person in the class doesn't miss any questions, but the second best person in the class misses one question, then I'm going to curve it to, let's say, a 38 out of 40 instead of a 40 out of 40. So it's not the top highest score, and it's a big possibility if you get the extra credit questions correct that you might have a lot of people in the class scoring over 100% and oftentimes quizzes and exams are great opportunities to make up points if you happen to miss them from missing a topic check or something else. In that regard all right that's it that's all i've got one more thing i just cycled back to the preview statement after the conclusion i did it myself one more thing i nearly forgot if you are going to miss class on the 30th and you know it ahead of time get a hold of me so we can make accommodations and get you set up at the testing center to take that quiz all right now i promise i'm really done thank you so much for checking this out and we'll see you next week